You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello and welcome to Indie Ninjas Attack, your secret guide to music industry domination for indies, managers, and artists. Powered by Indie.Ninja, the freelance platform for the music business. I'm your host, Matt Bacon of Dropout Media. And on these podcasts, we will be having real, practical conversations with some of the most respective names in the business. From the studio to marketing, we'll get you covered. Today on Indie Ninjas Attack, we've got Blastgo, the man, the myth, the legend. This guy is not only the basis for the one and only Ozzy Osbourne, but he's also a very high-level manager working with guys like Zach Wilde through his band Zach Sabbath, which Blasco also plays in, and of course Black Label Society, and then Black Veil Brides, among a few others. Blasco is one of the most visionary, accepting, and kind guys I've ever dealt with in the music industry. You know, he's really made a place in his heart for the underground, and you have to admire that spirit of supporting the scene, taking care of the scene, and trying to elevate others around him. Not a lot of people do that. So really an honor to get to get into coronavirus, hiring people, management, and more with this really brilliant man. So I'm here in the virtual studio, as it were, with the one and only Blasco, uh, bassist for Zach Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne, manager of some of our favorite bands, you know, Black Veil Brides, Black Label Society, other bands whose names start with the word black. How are you today, Blasco? Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And, uh, and um, all the, uh, the indie ninjas listening, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. You know, we were talking about this pre-show. You have this really long career in metal, going back 35 years, basically. Started in 1986. I was 16 years old whenever Cryptic Slaughter put out their first record on Metal Blade Records. Which is crazy to me. And, and uh, I just... <laughs> well, like, it's also, like, sad and weird because I'm more excited that you were in Cryptic Slaughter than almost anything else. <laughs> that's not that's not uncommon. I hear that quite a bit. <laughs> but uh, the point being, this is kind of an unprecedented time in your music industry career, which has been your life essentially since you were a literal child. Yeah. How are you coping? Yeah, I mean, it puts things in perspective that we obviously took what we did for a living for granted. In that, we never thought in a million years that what we did could be taken away from us without our doing, right? It's one thing whenever Mm -hmm. it's on your own, it's your own fault, right? It's your own responsibility why your band sucks or your band didn't sell enough records or you didn't make it on a tour or you got kicked out of your band or whatever, right? But for the entire business to have the rug pulled out from underneath us without our doing is a wake-up call. So how do you look at it? You know, you you uh, you look at it as an opportunity because what's the other option? It's quite possible that things may not return to how they once were, and if they do, 
It may be years for that to happen. As a manager, it doesn't it doesn't change anything that my clients are all inherently musicians who make music for a living that make that art that they bring to the people and share with the people. That doesn't change. That doesn't change for them. Um, so my challenge and my responsibility is adapting to a new mechanism to accommodate them and their inherent need to make art and bring it to the people. How do we, how do we do that? And that's, that's been what I've been focused on. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's that. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, like I was saying, when you're presented with a challenge like this, you have two options. You can adapt or you can fuck off. And that's that's all we've got you know and being a musician is is a challenge like in a lot of regards and, and even so much is like you know there's a lot of a lot of band dudes that go on tour for the first time and that's the last time because they yeah they just realized that it wasn't for them you know they had no idea what they were getting into and you know the pirate life is not a life that they want to lead so this is just another one of those challenges and fortunately, I've got a bunch of, uh, of musicians that are, are willing to be creative and adapt to this changing time. And we'll get through it, man. You know, and, and, and I think that beyond getting through it, uh, we're going to come out of it with some additional. The arsenal is going to be bigger. Yeah, I agree. We're going to be able to have looked at our e-com web stores differently um, we're going to look at live streaming differently. We're going to look at our how we deliver our product differently and how we communicate and engage our fan base differently and more productively is how we're looking at it. So I think it's, you know, it's like we have to embrace our opportunity for what this is and not cry about it. I very much agree. I think that there's, you know, it's funny because you always have... People saying, oh, yeah, we want to get, you know, pre-pandemic. You always have people saying, oh, we want to get into live streams. We want to get into this. We, we want to improve our web store, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no time. We're too busy doing these eight other cool things. Mm-hmm. But suddenly you don't have those eight other cool things to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, suddenly <laughs> this is what you have. Mm-hmm. So like now, you know, what, seven, we're recording this October 22nd. So we're like seven months into the pandemic. Do you feel like your band's general setups are stronger than they were at the beginning of the year because of this pandemic? A lot, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I can give a black and white answer on that. Like, mm-hmm. so, so far, everyone has been on board with adapting and taking on the challenge. Um, I feel like our fans have been supportive when it comes to doing live streams or, you know, visiting and, and supporting us via our web store. We got to thank our fans for not abandoning ship, right? Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. You know, these guys are going to, these guys are going to make music and rehearse and make records and do live streams. They're going to do all that. But if, the, if for some reason the fans evaporated, then it would be a lot tougher for us all to get through this. So I think we embrace the fans maybe more so 
than ever before because everybody mm-hmm. kind of realizes we're all in this together. And granted, they've got their own struggles in life. What you know, whether they're you know jobless or you know who knows what, right? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of personal issues going on now. But the fact that they're still fans is remarkable, really. How do you show more gratitude to the fans? Like, what are you doing to show that? Well, by not disappearing, one, um, by engaging with them more, listening to them more, get, getting them things that, you know, they want. You know, we have more opportunity to kind of pay closer attention to things now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's sort of, it's not, it's not a black and white answer. It's kind of more general, but. But because we have more time now, I think that we're just uh, we're being able to engage with them a little bit more and kind of see the things that they're looking for, you know, from us in the, during this time. What What are some of the surprising things that you've kind of learned about your fans, things you didn't really expect them to want or be into? Well, I think for starters that they're still here. Right. I think for starters that if you if you look at our web stores, um, you wouldn't think that there's a pandemic going on. Uh, you know, the, the sales from day one have been consistent and, and enthusiastic. Um, and man, you would like, you would think that would be the first thing to go. Absolutely. It is not a necessity to support a band at this time, right? Like you got to take care of yourself and your family and getting fed and paying the rent and all that. I mean, there's considerably more priorities and music and entertainment and all that is at currently at the the bottom of the priority list but there's conversely there's probably something to be said about needing that escapism into entertainment and music and movies and podcasts and whatnot like we still we still need the ability to escape what we're currently living through because if we really embrace it and take it at face value it's it's devastatingly depressing. So I think even though it's not a necessity for what it is, it is a necessity so that we can survive. It's, it's like there's that Churchill quote when in one of the dark days of World War II and they're trying to get more money and someone says, you know, well, let's cut funding to arts and culture. And Churchill says, well, if we cut funding to arts and culture, what are we What are we coming back to? What are we fighting for? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's kind of how I felt through a lot of this. Is It's like, well, you've got to keep doing this because this is our whole point. Yeah. You know, on some level, it's like we're trying to create art and be cool. Yeah. And, and do things that make the people around us content. I think it's unfortunate that the the bands that probably aren't going to come out of this are the ones that were just kind of getting started. Like maybe they put out one record, right? Like they were on their first record. They were going to go on their first tour and it got canceled. Um, And, you know, they may not be able to have that opportunity for three, four years from now. Right. Yeah. Um, and they may not come out of this, which is unfortunate, right? Because potentially we're going to lose a portion of a generation of bands that would have paved the way for a younger generation, right? Of, of you know, it, yeah. there may be that 
band that would have been the inspiration for a wave of new fans and to inspire artistically another wave of, of musicians and and whatnot and potentially we're gonna we're gonna lose some of those i think that's that's the unfortunate potential loss in all of this i i agree and i i definitely i think a lot about early on i thought a lot about like what happens when you have a generation of kids who aren't used to going to house shows you know mm-hmm. and aren't used to some of these sort of punk rock bona fides that I think you and I pre-pandemic viewed as somewhat necessary Mm -hmm. you know and like well those things are suddenly more dangerous like really dangerous and illegal as opposed to kind of dangerous and illegal yeah (laughs) yeah that's scary to me yeah but you know we I mean fortunately I haven't currently seen many casualties um mm-hmm. I, I feel like bands are still kind of putting out music and and yeah staying staying positive and you know there's been some great stuff i mean you know this band warlung from texas they just put out a, a record uh a week a week or two ago and it kills and um you know there's no opportunity for them to tour or anything but like you know man like all the labels are still putting stuff out and and uh and it seems like the scene is strong and united even though we can't you know do certain things that we're used to doing it feels like there, there's still a, a strong output of art from everybody so far you know and 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 I hope that that continues So then, but then in terms of, you know, in terms of your pandemic strategy, what has been your overall, like, plan of attack for bands? What has been your overall, like, okay, this is, like, let's say you take a band today, okay? Mm. And you're like, look, okay, pandemic's going, but I want to manage you, I want to make you some money. What are you doing for that band? What does that look like? Well, very what it looks like today is that responsibly I've gone to everyone and said, look, I hope I'm wrong, but there's going to be no touring in 2021. So we need to look at your bottom line and we need to figure out how to get to your bottom line with these opportunities that are in front of us that are not touring. Um, whether it's live streams or, you know, merchandising, or maybe we got to sell off some of your publishing or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, we got, we, we have to strategically do what we can to put a plan, a financial plan in place to get to a number to where everyone won't suffer. And how do we do that? Well, you know, scientifically, we have to put some projections together based on the unknown. Or, or maybe we have some data that we can gather. Um, but that's, that's the current strategy because if I'm wrong and things do come back, say by May or June, and we've put a plan in place of not touring in 2021, but touring does come back, say mid-year, 
and we have to pivot out of our plan of non-touring, that's not a problem. And it's not going to be a problem. But if we if we think that touring is going to come back in June and we only put a plan in place from January through May with the hopes that things are going to turn around and it's irresponsible to look at the year like that. Yeah. The correct thing to do is to make a strategic financial plan of how you're going to, what art you're going to make, how you're going to make it and how you're financially going to survive next year. And we have to make a plan and we have to stick to that plan and we have to implement it. If for some reason touring does come back, great. That's awesome. Then we, then we, you know, we, we don't really have to worry about it. Um, other than the things that we have to worry about of what new touring looks like, you know, are we faced with reductions because everyone's taking a hit and that's the way it works. And so what does that mean? Does that mean if festivals are paying 10% less, does that mean that our crew gets paid 10% less? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we're going to have to adapt to in the, in the new normal that we don't know what that is yet. So that'll, we'll face those challenges when they present itself. But the current challenge is how do we get through 2021 with no touring and what are we going to put in place to make up for the fact that there won't be any, you know, that's yeah. currently that's what I'm looking at. My friend, I.L. Levy had this really good quote where he said at the beginning of this pandemic, essentially what I did was he rebuilt his company with the idea that it would never normalize. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the way to go. Right. And that's what I'm saying because it, because of this, it doesn't make musicians not be musicians. Right. Yeah. Like they're going to be, and their inherent need to create and to produce is not going anywhere. It's not going to disappear. So, my responsibility is to figure out a way to give them an environment where they can still create and still produce. And if that means that the financials look a little bit different, well, then we're just going to have to adapt to that creatively, however that is. We can't take away from them what they do, nor can we let that happen. So yeah, but I think that's right. I think that you have to look at it as like, this is ground zero. Fortunately, we have a fan base and we just have to find a new way to engage that fan base in a way to where they're appreciative of us doing that. Um, and so far, uh, live streams, the virtual concerts, drive-ins, um, uh, however, however we can bring music to the people, fans seem to be accepting of that and seem to be showing up and we appreciate that. And I think that's important, I guess, is realizing it's kind of a compromise on on every side. Mm -hmm. Here's kind of an interesting one, because it's something I've been thinking about in terms of like paradigm shifts and how, you know, the music industry works now. You know, it used to kind of be sort of broadly accepted knowledge that like, really one of the most important people for your band to hire early on would be like a booking agent, right? Mm -hmm. And that like a booking agent could probably help like open some doors. You probably couldn't open on your own, et cetera, et cetera. So my question is now, 
who is the most important person to hire because you know you don't have a booking agent to fuel shows. Who do you, who are you hiring? What are you looking for? If you're a young band and you don't have a team assembled at this point, your best bet as to what you should focus on is learning the business yourself and being independent and looking at it that way because you know the reality is is that someone like a booking agent gets paid as a, a, as a percentage of what you make and if there's no opportunity to for you to make them anything then that's that's not that's not yeah you know, that's not that's not a good you know booking agents are are yeah, they're in not a rough position it. yeah they're in a rough position as well um and certainly taking on extra client load in in a time whenever no money is being made from their business, it's probably not something to focus on. I would think now is a good opportunity to hone your craft, be overly meticulous about your music and your presentation and what it is that you stand for, Yeah, how your music sounds, who it reaches, who your audience is, build that audience, connect with your audience, spend some extra time on social media, spend some extra time on looking into things that are maybe new like Twitch and TikTok and maybe there's an opportunity there. Spend some time on learning the business, talk to people like you, connect with people that are important to you. Studios, maybe some songwriters, producers, graphic artists, you know, people who really kind of pull together your brand right? Like your presentation, really kind of being overly meticulous about what that is. Because let me tell you, when things come back to some sense of normalcy, it's going to be more competitive than ever because we're going to be faced with a very tremendous log jam. Absolutely. There's going to be way more bands looking to go on the road, but there's only so many clubs. And by that point, there'll be probably even fewer clubs even fewer clubs so and if you're a newer band you know look man you're going to be last in line so um now's a really good time to build that fan base because a band with a fan base has leverage and there's nothing more powerful than having leverage and if you can utilize 2021 as a time to build a fan base and figure out how to build a fan base online as opposed to face to face then you're going to you're going to be a little further up the row towards the front of the line um, because you've got some leverage that you can use because you can put meat in the seats that was a really gross way to put it but okay <laughs> <laughs> So I actually have something else. I kind of want your thought on it. This is sort of a weird side thing that I've just kind of been playing with in my head. But I feel like one of the concerns that's going to come out of the pandemic is I feel like this is the time where in the next like 12, 18 months, you're going to see solo records from every single sideman in metal. Like, I feel like this is the time that you're going to get the acoustic record from the bassist of Parkway Drive. Yeah, because like that guy probably does have acoustic songs laying around. I, I don't know who that who that is, but I'm just using it as an example, right? 
But like yeah. people like that, like have written songs that don't make sense for like their day job, a band. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's going to really be clogging up the pipes too? Because that's kind of a concern I've had. I don't think so because those are going to be studio projects. If you follow, if you follow that dude on Instagram and he's marketing his solo record to you, then you know you're you'll probably listen to it on Spotify and maybe buy a T-shirt, and, you know, maybe pre-order the the vinyl bundle or something, right? Look, I mean, at, at this point, music is positive energy. Like if you're putting music out into the world, you're putting positive energy into the world, and we need more of that. So if every dude in every band wants to make an acoustic solo record and fucking bring it on, man, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. So we talked a little bit about who to hire and those sorts of things. But what should you be looking for in someone you're considering hiring? I think that we've all seen a million and a half scams. How do you approach hiring people within the music industry? For starters, there should be some type of brand alignment with what your goal is. I often say, like, now's a good time to find your own lane. And no one's really looking for a not-so-good version of the thing that's already good. Be the best version of you, not a, not a substandard version of the thing that you're influenced by. So in terms of like hiring a, a publicist or a graphic designer, get somebody that can bring something new and extra to the table. If it's a publicist, can they get you in a place where there's some eyes on your brand that wouldn't normally be there? Um, if it's a graphic designer, maybe it's not the guy that does everybody else's stuff but maybe he can bring something to the table that is maybe a little unexpected to help you stand out and and not look uh, like you're just kind of trying to be part of a part of a scene. But yeah, and, and also too, I think it's reliability. I think you want someone that can that's responsive to you. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing more annoying that if you're hiring someone, that means you're paying someone for their service and. If their service sucks, then that's drag. So yeah, you want people who show up. Yeah, I think you want to make sure that you get someone that responds to emails, that meets expectations, and also someone too that isn't interested in just taking your money, but someone that feels like can meet your expectations. Because let's be honest, a lot of musicians' expectations are unrealistic. I think it's the responsible thing for the service being hired that they understand those expectations and that they're transparent about how they can meet those expectations, right? Like mm-hmm. don't say that you can deliver something that is unrealistic or that you, or that you know that you can't just cause you want to take the, the paycheck. Right. I think it's, I think it's a matter of being honest with the artists of like, Hey, look, I understand that that's what you want to do. We're living in a different time. I believe that I can deliver X, Y, and Z that would be positive for you guys. And, you know, let's have it, let's have, let's have an honest conversation about what the expectations are, when I can deliver that and how it's going to look. I would think, I would think that's the answer to that question. 
Okay. So, but outside of expectations, you know, you're talking about communication and kind of maintaining relationships that, that don't suck. You know, you as a manager, you, you need to hire someone for something new, maybe that you haven't hired out for before or whatever. How do you kind of judge the vibe of someone? How do you judge if someone is trustworthy or not? Because I feel like this is a place a lot of people fall down and shoot themselves in the foot. I have hired a lot of people that I've never actually talked to on the phone and never seen in a Zoom call and never met in person. Um, and those are primarily graphic designers. Mm-hmm. But I think the same rules apply. Whereas, and I don't think in this day and age that's uncommon to where you hire people that you never actually meet or either your communication level is via text or emails. And I feel that like if you're a business owner, your customer service has to be pristine. And so I think that it's a matter of how significant the communication is, how quick and precise it is, Mm -hmm. how fair the pricing is. And how much you, you know, you appreciate the client immediately first reaction comes down to the email response. And also too, it is the responsibility to the artist to construct proper emails. I mean, man, like you could, we could do a whole episode about, yeah about, about how to write emails because oh, 100%. it's mutual. It's the responsibility of the artist to be concise and appreciative and sincere and realistic and to the to the company being hired um it's a matter of them to be responsive and transparent and also precise you know and i think if you if i think if you have that sort of mutual respect and communication level then you're going to get good product Uh, you know, you're going to get good results, right? And you're going to build a productive relationship that you can use for years and years. I was hoping you would say that, you know, the email communication is the most important part. It really is. I mean, like back whenever I had a podcast, we did a whole episode on how to properly write emails to industry professionals. And I mean, it's an art. For anyone listening, you can Google email templates, proper email templates, not rocket science, but there is a level of communication if you'd like to be reciprocated with you know, good communication, it starts with you and how you reach out to someone that you're wanting or inquiring to hire. Absolutely. And this was also this is also something I've never understood is like the guy who takes a week to reply to an email with two sentences who then wonders why we don't hire him. Yeah, see that guy's no good either. You know, then then you're either distracted. Like the way that I interpret that is. One, your business isn't a business, it's a hobby. Yeah. Or two, you're so busy that you can't prioritize me. That's the way that I interpret someone that takes a week to respond. Both things are not advantageous to what I'm looking for. And that's just a really crucial thing I wanted to get across is that the response time is key. Yep. Okay. So, so then the, the next step I want to get into, you know, is because obviously, you know, and especially I don't want to take too much of your time, but this is a kind of a, a final key I wanted to, to pick apart. Obviously, the music industry has sort of been through a lot more change in the last eight months than it had been through in probably the last decade. New rules have emerged. 
what do you see as roles you're now hiring for that you maybe didn't have at the beginning of the year, if there are any? What new spaces do you see as growth spaces for, or potential growth spaces for freelancers and music, specifically like in metal? A mar- like an agency, like a marketing agency. I'll give you a specific example. The new ACDC album. They very clearly hired a marketing agency to launch this record cycle. I don't even know if they had an Instagram before this, um, but if they did, they completely cleaned it out, right? There's, there, there was no post before the before this campaign started. It's too smart and thought out for an in-house label person to be running this campaign. And it, it's too in-depth and too thought out. And it's great. The campaign is great. Every day there's something new. It's all cohesive. If you don't know that the new ACDC record is called Power Up and it's coming out, pretty soon, then you're not paying attention. They clearly hired an agency to put together all of the branding. And I feel like I've seen more sort of creative agencies or creative directors. Like I've seen the quote unquote creative director title um, more in the last few months than I've seen before. And I don't know why. Maybe, Maybe it's just because that opportunity has presented itself for creative directors and maybe people because they're home and they're not on tour, they've got a bigger perspective on their business and they know that it's not as simple as throwing up an Instagram post and then relying on your fans to show up, especially whenever they're throttled um, with algorithms and, and whatnot. It's, it's uh, you know, I think, I feel like Artists are paying more attention to their business now. Yeah. And that, from my perspective, has opened the role for the creative director and the creative agency. And I've seen more of it. And I'm curious to know more. I actually recently hit up the dude over at Sony and I was like, hey, man, like, what what agency did you guys hire for the ACDC album? Because, like, this is shit I got to (laughs) know. Like, I got to, I got to know more about this campaign because it's so good and yeah i got i gotta know a who this company is and then b i gotta know who other companies are because theoretically whoever that company is probably isn't affordable they probably do campaigns for like ford and and the cheesecake factory or whatever right i feel like there's going to be more of those creative directors and creative agencies i think you're 100 percent right Do you have any sort of um, final words of wisdom to share with us as we as we start to wrap this one up? I think stay positive. Look at this as an opportunity because it is. It's a challenge. And the reason why it's an opportunity is because the universe just hit the reset button and we're all starting at ground zero, right? Like Metallica has to do a drive-in show. They don't have any advantage over anybody else anymore. And they're the biggest band in our space, right? It's a level playing field. The answers are only as creative as you can get because the boundaries are the same boundaries that all of us are facing. So you don't have to follow the rules because there are no rules other than you can't do what no one else can do. So there's no excuse to not be able to thrive in this current environment because we're all faced with the same challenge. How do we get through COVID-19 and beyond? 
So because of that, then you should look at this as an opportunity to find what makes your band unique, hire whoever you need to hire to help find what that uniqueness is and get it out to fans and build a fan base and create a universe that you can thrive in and you can build and and uh, you can you know create some some real value and build a business you know there's there's no better time than right now to prioritize your band and make it something that will flourish now and if you can believe me if you can structurally and financially create a brand that is sustainable now then when things return to some sense of normalcy it will be laughable about how you can flip the switch on that rolling in to the years to come it's going to be so much easier if you can figure out a way to get through this so yeah that's my uh, pep talk well i appreciate that pep talk it's been an honor to get to do stuff with you thank you so much for coming on the show of course and i probably should have mentioned at the top of this show just as a final note since we're both here Blasco and i were able to work on a top 40 record together with the zach sabbath release yeah sometimes it's about just doing the art yeah putting in the work and then letting the letting the fans kind of dictate the end result right like do the best that you can do what you think is right put it out there and let people decide because believe me we had zero aspirations of charting in seven countries (laughs) right yeah a year and a half ago whenever we decided whenever we looked at the calendar and was like man February 13th is the 50 year anniversary of the first Sabbath record like we should re-record it and then go to go to the UK and play there in Birmingham on the 50 year anniversary that was the goal the goal was to accomplish those two things finish that record and do that tour right yeah to think that an album based out of pure celebration of Black Sabbath and heavy metal and all that has afforded us over the course of the last 50 years to just celebrate that moment in time to think to think that that was going to then equate to chart positioning in multiple countries is mind-blowing but also awesome in that everyone else saw it as a celebratory moment the same way that we did and that's exciting because we're not alone so that that was that was a great moment not because we charted but because it felt like there was a community of people that respect our origin story and and everything that has been built over the course of the last 50 years because of that, right? So, I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here talking if it wasn't for that moment. I think that that is great that we had the opportunity to carry that legacy. Absolutely. For another generation and a bunch of people that appreciate that and what we did and that we did it respectfully, right? Absolutely. It's cool. Good time. Glad glad to have you on, on the team. Thank you so much. Yep. And that's it for this week on the Indie Ninjas Attack podcast. Thank you again to Blasco for being so kind with his words, 
sharing so much information, being such a positive spirit for us as we navigate a really difficult, unprecedented time. So thank you again, Blasco. This episode was produced and sound designed by Brad Worrell at Soundwag. Music by Outburst and Killing Time, courtesy of Blackout Records. Indie Ninja's Attack is powered by Indie.Ninja, the freelance marketplace for the music business where you can hire designers, motion graphic experts, and top marketers to help you with all the thankless, invisible jobs that go into launching a record or career. Opinions expressed on this podcast may or may not be the opinions of Indie.Ninja. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>